Hello and welcome back to the Bit of a Tangent podcast. This is a fun little episode where we will be giving you some reading recommendations for 2020. For those of you who are new, my name is Jaluka. I'm a postgraduate AI student and I'm joined by my ever-fascinating friend Jared, who studies medicine, reads very many books, and is just generally a fascinating and well-rounded guy. If you missed our last episode, which was the 19 best ideas from 2019, based on a awesome Twitter thread of Jared's, definitely check that one out. That would give you a good impression of what we've been thinking about lately and what we will be discussing in future episodes. Today's episode is more of an analysis of the books that I most enjoyed in 2019 and reviewed on Goodreads and am recommending for 2020. This is three fiction and three non-fiction. Balance things out. Uh, turns out that Jared has, over the course of the years, read five of those six. So I think he can also give a stamp of approval in this one. And he definitely has some contributions to add in, as well as one bonus recommendation at the end that is incredibly spicy and probably best for mere mortals to avoid. But if you're superhuman listening to this, welcome. It's good to have you listening. And we really hope you enjoy this episode of Bit of a Tangent. As always, the links to everything we mentioned will be found in the show notes, as well as some other things that we might not mention. So check it out. Without further ado, let's dive right into this one and enjoy the episode of Bit of a Tangent. Right, so uh, one of the common things that a lot of people ask me is, and I'm sure you've had the same experience, is like, okay, what books do you recommend? What books have you read recently that you liked that were good? Um, and I do go to a lot of effort for my own personal benefit to just catalog and keep track of what I've read, what I thought of it, and jot down some notes and ideas. Um because I find it's a it's a great thing to look back on, and also just because I love tracking and and measuring things, and that's just part of my personality. Uh, and so the the beauty of that is that come the end of the year, I can look back on the twenty to twenty five odd books that I typically read in a year and see which were my favorites, what I thought, what my takeaways were, and what I would recommend to other people. So, seeing as how if you're listening to this, you probably think my opinions are worth uh, something at least. Um, and maybe have some shared interests. Uh, a lot of these have also been mentioned um, in, in previous episodes, so this is definitely worth uh, throwing out there, and hopefully uh, it will inspire some nuggets of uh, enjoyable reading pleasure for the year to come. So this is books that I enjoyed in 2019 that you should read in 2020. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Yeah, and then feel free to jump in. I think uh, mm -hmm. we've had at least one or two that we've both uh, read or read in the past that, that they've converged here. So feel free to throw in your, your two cents worth or any other tangential recommendations that, that branch off from them. But um, oh, I no. think we'll dive into nonfiction first, which usually makes up the majority of my, my reading in the year. But there's uh, some great, really nice uh, fiction that uh, we can look at towards the end. So the first major one that is definitely in contention to be one of my favorite books from the last few years, and I'm actually currently rereading, is Algorithms to Live By, The Computer Science of Human Decisions by Brian Christian and Tom Griffiths. And this Such is a good book. absolute gold. So much fun. It's just the kind of book that I both enjoy reading and gain ridiculous amounts of value from. 
So yeah, essentially what it is, is an exploration of some of the key ideas in computer science and mathematics that can be mapped onto human level and human life decisions and experiences, right? So I think this is best sort of explained with an example. So let's go with, in computer science, there is this famous problem called the optimal stopping problem. And it's sometimes framed with the example, um, pretty old school example, but the secretary problem. And so you might've heard it by that name, but the, the core of the problem is essentially you've got a whole bunch of sort of discrete inputs and you've got to make some decision in time at which to stop and pick one as your best guess at the optimal. Um, and the reason that was framed as the secretary problem is if someone's trying to hire a secretary, well, they have to interview a whole bunch of candidates. And if you make the assumption that they can't recall someone that they've interviewed, they have to just kind of just offer them the job on the spot. And once they've done that, they can't interview anyone else. Then you've got to kind of guess what, what point you should stop and just say, okay, cool, we'll take you. Because if you leave it too long, you might be like, oh, we missed all these great people. Now we just have to take what we can get. And if you stop too early, well, you're screwed because now you haven't even seen what's out there. Um, and so it's a fundamental problem. And what's kind of beautiful of it is that in the standard framing of the problem is there's this very quirky number that just pops out as the optimal value, which is 37%. It's almost like the answer to life, the universe and everything is 42. It's like yeah, 37%, that's the answer. You should look at 37% of the things, the secretaries that you're interviewing, whatever it might be, and then pick the next one that's the best that you've seen so far. Right, And that gives you a 37% chance of getting the best one. So there's this beautiful symmetry to the problem too. And in the abstract sense, it was studied mathematically and analyzed in all these different ways. But it's got so much relevance to problems in real human daily life. Like, for instance, like if you are at a festival and there's a line of portaloos, like, uh, you know, these... Um, mobile toilets that have been set up and like they can be pretty gross but some are better than others and there's probably some best one out there like how many <laughs> should you go and look at to see if one is like decent enough that you're willing to go in and, and, and bear that experience like if you want to try and find the optimal portaloo how many should you look at before just picking the next best one so if you look at 37 percent and then pick the next best one that's better than any you've seen so far it's that one um, and you have the same kind of thing with uh, looking for parking uh, if you're trying to find a parking spot, um, you want to be as close as possible to the thing that you're trying to get to, but you also want to have an available parking spot. And this is another form of the same optimal stopping problem. So this is just one example. Another one that they go into is like explore, exploit trade-offs and how that can determine like whether you should try a new restaurant or go back to your old favorite. And just an absolute plethora of these that encompasses everything from like how best to organize and sort your socks to how to like arrange your desk, to how to go about dating and the dating world, uh, which is another great optimal stopping one. Uh, and it's just beautiful and fantastic in every way because it gives you the nice theoretical grounding and the background and the history of these problems and the historical figures, but it also ties everything back into these very tangible real world examples. And as someone who's encountered all of these problems in the very theoretical mathematical cases, it's so wonderful to have these intuitions and real world examples behind it, A, and B, it's just so much fun to actually take things that we know in a theoretical sense and apply them to aspects of our daily life. Because there are so many great heuristics and algorithms out there that actually do improve your daily life. And it's a goal of mine to apply these whenever I can. And it really does change the way I think about problems in my life and make decisions. And not only one of the most 
fun books to read in the nonfiction sense, but just super full of wisdom and nuggets. And yeah, I mean, I'm rereading it. Uh, that that should tell you everything you need to know um within a year i'm rereading it already so it's yeah. it's definitely one of my my top rated ones out there and i believe you read it also in the last like 18 months or so it's really good and if you want sort of the high value intro to the book the Eighty Thousand hours podcast do an interview with i think it's one of the authors not both and they mm-hmm. cover in like a fair amount of detail some of the big ideas from the book and it was a great interview and they, they do a really good job of also like questioning at what point like the algorithms that humans naively use for some of these problems, mm. whether those are actually optimal in like the special domain that is human affairs. So great podcast and great intro to what is otherwise a fantastic book. Yeah, we'll definitely link that podcast in the show notes because now that you, you bring it to my um, my attention, yeah, I remember listening to that distinctly now and it was really, really great because they dig into the weeds of some of the algorithms and there's some awesome stuff. Um, and, and like really useful stuff that I would never have encountered elsewhere, like about how to do dynamic trials when you're testing like drugs in a clinical setting or doing any kind of case control analysis, which has huge potential for like saving human lives and is definitely an idea that should be propagated out there. And maybe something we'll talk about when we finally get around to our episode on like medicine and the um, coordination problems in the medical world of healthcare and, and all those things and and lots of rebuilding it from the ground up so yeah we've got a lot to dig into there so um we'll probably bring it up then but just some really useful and actionable stuff as well as it being fun and accessible to anyone you don't have to be a computer scientist to find this um useful and valuable but ironically you probably will um, and that's what makes this honestly one of my favorite books ever so that comes highly recommended all right what's next Moving on to the next one, uh, obviously, what, what, how, how, what's our mean time to Eliezer? Bam, we're, we're at like nine minutes and the Eliezer Yudkowsky mention comes in here. The next book is by Eliezer Yudkowsky and it's Inadequate Equilibria, Where and How Civilizations Get Stuck. So Eliezer Yudkowsky is one of the key thinkers at the Machine Intelligence Research Institute and he is essentially just like one of the the granddaddies of, of uh, the modern <laughs> rationality movement. You just call him a granddaddy. The granddaddies. Oh, um, no. no, I mean, yeah. And this is another book we both read. And... Yeah, and the, and the beauty of this one is like, it's just um, freely available online. It was just like, I think pretty much all of Eliezer's stuff is just public domain, freely accessible. Um, so if you've enjoyed any of the posts that he's put on like the less wrong sequences, or I mean, surely you've read some if, you, if you've listened to any of these podcasts before, because we recommend one just about every episode. Uh, Inadequate Equilibria is an amazing treatment of all these ideas that we often throw around to do with game theory, to do with alignment, to do with cooperation, and how failing to align the mechanisms of society and the way the world is structured with what it is that we hope to achieve as a civilization leads us to these examples where like, we have failing medical systems or we have an inability to reproduce our findings in science and and various other things like this right so many of the times when you look at society and go what the hell is wrong why is this government bad why is this economic policy failing so terribly why is healthcare so expensive and yet so inadequate this is why so it it, it looks at market dynamics it looks at game theory it looks at a whole bunch of factors and everything that goes into it and it's probably one of the best treatments of all of these ideas i've ever seen and it sparked so many ideas um and in fact a previous podcast episode was was largely influenced by our reading of that um which we'll link in the show notes which is about the idea of moloch um which is also tied in with a post from skirt alexander 
I mean, yeah, we both read this book and reading it really added to my sort of mental toolkit. It gave me a vocabulary to talk about civilizational failures. And I think the key thing which it does is it gives a general underlying or unifying account of what appear to be separate individual failures of our societies. Whereas once Yadkowski is finished, you sort of see each of these as special cases of the general phenomenon of not having a mechanism that that ensures um, what could broadly be called like a, an efficient market, but what turns out to be just inadequate market equilibria due to like a, a fairly limited set of of factors. Yeah, exactly. I think that's yeah very well said. I actually just want to find a quote, a note from the book that I saved. Um, so he, he contrasts the idea of an efficient market, an exploitable market, and an adequate system. And it's quite an, a long quote, but I'll, I'll read it out here. Efficiency. Microsoft's stock price is neither too low nor too high relative to anything you can possibly know about Microsoft's stock price. Inexploitability. Some houses and housing markets are overpriced, but you can't make a profit by short-selling them, and you're unlikely to find any substantially underpriced houses. The market as a whole isn't rational, but it contains participants who have money and understand housing markets as well as you do. Adequacy. Okay, the medical sector is a wildly crazy place where different interventions have orders of magnitude differences in cost-effectiveness. But at least there's no well-known but unused way to save 10,000 lives for just $10 each, right? Somebody would have picked up on it, right? Hmm. And that's exactly the point that it makes. It's like, you can have all of these ideas about efficient markets come together, but yet there can still be interventions that might cost very little and save many, many thousands of lives that no one's actually making use of because there's just some failure in the mechanisms of society. And, and the entire book is about that and building up the ideas that you need to discuss these problems and the vocabulary you need to talk and think about them critically and comes highly recommended if you care about improving the world or the things around you or your interactions with other human beings in any way, which obviously everyone should. Awesome. Right. Um, so the third nonfiction recommendation that I have is the Replacing Guilt series by Nate Sories. So this is a collection of posts from mindingourway.com forward slash guilt. So it's, it's a series from his website. Uh, so Nate uh, works with Eliezer. He's actually the director of the Machine Intelligence Research Institute, MIRI. And uh, what what's just fantastic about the series and what makes it so useful is that it is like self-help, but written like by highly cerebral like, machine learning people for highly <laughs> cerebral machine learning people. So it, it, it's brilliant, but I think it, it, it will apply to, to lots of people. So if you find a lot of self-help type um, advice, I don't know, vomit inducing and repulsive and unhelpful, this might be the antidote. Um, if you're the kind of person who likes to think about problems critically, if you're interested in effective altruism or 80,000 hours, this will definitely uh, ring true for you and will be a lot of food for thought. Let me just say this. Sorry. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's even more broad than you're painting it. I mean, like I've shown it to other friends who are not necessarily even acquainted with effective altruism or have no clue about machine learning. And I don't think they've ever read an online blog post about rationality and yet Afterwards, I think because Soros does such an excellent job of like rethinking the whole genre of self-help from a very unique perspective, it's just it's giving you ideas which you wouldn't encounter any other way. And so I think it's useful almost anywhere 
like no matter what your starting point. So that was just my quick addition there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, replacing guilt is essentially an examination of the kinds of guilt that people who are either highly productive or aspire to be highly productive tend to be crippled by. The things that cause you to end up like binge watching an entire series on Netflix when you should be working on your research paper or that cause you to feel horrible for going out to a party and socializing instead of staying at home and, and, and working on your biomedical research that's going to extend human lives and everything sort of in between. You recommended this to me and you actually, I think you sent me the link to the Bayesian Conspiracy Podcast episode where they discuss um, how they've come across replacing guilt and what they gleaned from it and how useful it is. Mm. Um, so I listened to that and then I was like, okay, cool, this, this sounds really interesting. And I went and checked it out. So I actually found an ebook version where someone had compiled all of the posts, I think it's about 40 posts, into uh, like a Kindle ebook that you can freely download. And I read that uh, one post a day over like roughly the course of a month. And it was, it, it was, I think it was so well-timed. And I think you predicted that it would be so well-timed in my life in, in that regard. Like it, it just I think rang true with you and it just felt like the right time. And it was hundred percent the right time. Like it, it made <laughs> such a big impact on me at the time I read it. Um, which was like sort of early on starting my my uh, master's program. And, and it was just so perfect in many ways. And some of the posts stood out tremendously. And one in particular was called Half-Assing It With Everything You've Got. It's the first post, I think. Yeah, so it's it's actually in the like prerequisites. So it's it's almost like outside the series, but it's it's the one that you read right at the beginning. Um, and, and that one in particular had such a big impact on me and sort of just how I think about quality lines and preference curves and, and the effort I put into things. And reframed a lot of my thinking in this way of looking at problems instead of sort of a trade-off of like okay do I want to get like an A for this class or do I just want to pass the class and like I couldn't like it just felt uncomfortable I'm like should I just kill myself working and it's diminishing returns and all of these things I could never align the perfectionist sort of try hard in me with the rebellious slacker who is like this is a waste of my time um, but but Nate managed to structure an argument in such a way that I realized that it's just like this optimization problem of like it's 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 a, a challenge that your your rebel and your perfectionist can get behind to try and like let's say achieve your personal like target for that course or that project or whatever with the minimum possible effort right because everything else is wasted motion um, so just that one post in particular had such big impact and many of the 40 others were so useful and influential and valuable to me that I was like okay there's so many people I want to share this with um, but a lot of people I know just like don't really read things, especially not when they're in an, I don't know, unorthodox format, which I guess is like a web series of posts kind of is for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people just consume audio. So I was like, okay, well, maybe there's an, an audio book version or a podcast version that I can share with some people like there there is for um, Slate Star Codex, for instance. Um, and I couldn't find it. And I searched long and hard and I was like, well, I want this to be in the world. And this thing really benefited me. So I was like, sweet, I'll make it. So I actually reached out to Nate and... Yeah, I got permission to to produce the podcast version of this and yeah it's already well underway and probably by the time this episode goes out it'll be out in the world and I can link to it in the show notes awesome. um, but yeah it'll be the replacing guild podcast and eventually audiobook when it's done um, it's all freely accessible public domain and with um, Nate's permission so it's it's great and I think I'm definitely gaining value from revisiting everything when I when I record it and narrate everything and I think I'm looking forward to seeing how people benefit from this being out there in audio form in a, in a more accessible format. So 
yeah, I, I definitely have put my um, energy behind this because I, I, it really made such a tangible benefit in my life over the past few months. Hello, Janlika from the future here. This is me just checking in to say that unfortunately, the Replacing Guild podcast is not quite ready yet. I have recorded a number of episodes already. Some of those are produced and pretty much finalized. I'm just waiting on one or two things that need to be finalized before that can get released. And I'll make sure to notify you in future episodes when that is live. But in the meantime, you can check out Replacing Guilt uh, on the website at mindingourway.com forward slash guilt, link in the show notes. Or you can wait patiently and you will be updated in probably a week or two from the time of this recording with a link to the Replacing Guilt podcast that I will be hopefully releasing a whole batch initially and then one or two a week, depending on what kind of recording and uploading schedule I can commit to with my other commitments. So this is a project I definitely believe in, and that is why I'm wanting to put it out there. But this is just a quick check-in to let you know the status of that. Back to the show. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I, I really do second that. And um, well done for reaching out to Nate and getting permission. I know you've been working on this for a little while now, so I'm mm. super excited to hear the first episode. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. And, yeah, and thank you for recommending this to me in, in the first place. It's uh, definitely made an impact. I think one thing that might be uh, nice to do is, is maybe um, to like link like one of the perhaps the half asking it with all you've got episode on a bit of a tangent so that people can get a, a taste for it. Um, uh, and because that one just sort of as a standalone is, is super valuable as well. So that might be something. And, and if people are interested in it from there, they can they can go and check it out. But if you're impatient, you can go and read it all now at uh, mindingourway.com forward slash guilt. There you go. Awesome. Uh, do you have any non-fictions that you thought about and want to jump in there before I touch on the fiction recommendations? You hit on, on two or three things already that were important. And I guess the most salient one or the most recent one, I, obviously, I finished um, Eliezer Yadkowski's sequences. That was important. Also, like... In, important because we talk about it so much so finally uh, finished definitely. all the essays it's quite the tome it's it's big it's big um i read the, the book on predictive processing uh, surfing uncertainty by andy clark that was nice. really really illuminating mm. um if anyone's wondering like how come jean-luc is doing like a full review and, and jared is just sort of idly mentioning things it's because jean-luc was prepared and jared left his laptop 20 kilometers away so we're doing this on a borrowed laptop so yeah let's let's let you jump into your fiction picks for 2019 and then maybe we'll do a proper episode another time when i've got everything right in front of me <laughs> yeah. all, all together yeah definitely yeah but if you have any other ideas just throw them out there is your goodreads uh, public or is it like restricted to friends only i can't remember but i know it'll be unhelpful because one of my tasks for the end of the year i guess maybe now the start of 2020 was to update goodreads with everything i i, right, okay. I read so like, to get around to it, yeah. it's up it's You're up too to busy reading to, like to write about what you read march 2019 and then okay. everything since then which is like maybe 20 or 30 books is just non-existent but i do have i do know what i will recommend on, on the fiction side that i that i will add to so as you would okay. well let's see it because i might recommend them before you and then we'll, we'll see we'll see <laughs> but um but yeah so mine is mine is obsessively up to date um I, I find it i find it very motivating to actually go and read things and to also keep track of all the recommendations i get and prioritize them so uh, mine is public you can check it out i rate and review and leave notes on everything that i read um, and you can also sort 
if you if if you like my taste, which, you know, then you should probably seek immediate uh, medical attention. Uh, but I'll, I'll uh, if, you, if you if you like and value my taste, you can just go to all my books that I've read and sort by like rating, and then just go and, and read those. Um, but uh, you know, see 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 what monster we create. Um, but jumping into fiction, and I think it's great to balance a little bit of um, fiction into the nonfiction mix. Um, especially, I like to more recently I've moved towards reading nonfiction on the Kindle because I like making notes that I can look back to um, and listening to fiction, um, especially sort of in the evenings. That's actually a tip from Tim Ferriss to to help wind down. Mm. Um, and I find audio particularly good because it means you can avoid screens. So it's, it's often something I, I like to listen to winding down in the evenings uh, or while cooking or whatever. So yeah, coming to fiction, uh, the first recommendation here, and this is no, and not in any particular order, uh, is Good Omens, The Nice and Accurate Prophecies of Agnes Nutter, which um, and this is a book written by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. So I think there's actually a, a TV series now about Good Omens, which I haven't seen. Um, but the the book is just genuinely fantastic. Terry Pratchett has written extensively um, of the, the Discworld series that I read some of when I was younger um, and didn't really catch me at the time. But he has a fantastic style with like one-liners and witty repartee and if, if you like douglas adams and those kind of authors it, it will probably appeal to you yeah it, it um, kind of reads like a, a a fantasy hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy i, I was literally gonna say use the exact same analogy it's it's exactly oh, wow. what it is Beat you to that. Um, and uh neil gaiman um i also read uh, the graveyard book after many years of tim ferris uh, recommending it um and it is it is fantastic the audiobook of that is phenomenal it's read by neil gaiman he has such a beautiful voice um, it's, it's, it's honestly so soothing to listen to Like, I think I might just keep, keep listening to it, um, many, many times over. Um, and so this was really interesting. So I, 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 when did they write this? I think it was, um, see this version that I have up here on, um, on Goodreads was published in 2006, but I feel like it was way earlier that they wrote it. Um, and yeah, so, um, Neil, Neil Gaiman is a fantastic storyteller and character builder and just brings this wonderful balance of like adult meaning and childlike wonder to his writing style and that's what's beautiful in graveyard book and terry pratchett is super good at the the pithy witty remarks and repartee and 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 all of those aspects and so the combination of the two is i mean it's it's simply fantastic and and worth checking out and will will definitely bring you a good chuckle especially if you're into the more um british style of humor but uh, what, what makes it especially great is the sort of story about how they wrote the book, which was that they, they did it back in the day over, like, over, the, over the phone. Neil Gaiman used to write at like, very late hours of the night, and then Terry Pratchett used to write in the mornings and afternoons. So they were just kind of like working shifts, sending drafts back and forth to each other um, and, and, and having conversations over the phone. And uh, there's a really great telling of this by Neil Gaiman, I think on his interview with Tim Ferriss on Tim Ferriss's podcast, uh, which is also just wonderful to listen to mostly because Neil Gaiman has a beautiful voice and can talk with absolute wonder about his fountain pen collection, which just, uh, if, if, you, if you've ever not written with a fountain pen and never understood the appeal, listen, listen to him talk about fountain pens and you'll instantly want to whole, start a whole collection of your own. Anyway, fantastic read, very entertaining, witty, uh thought-provoking fun and deeply soothing in many ways so highly recommended awesome what's number two cool number two is the metropolitan man by alexander wales so this i actually came across um this is by... the first one on the list that i haven't also read that you that you've read so nice yeah man. interesting 
Okay, so <laughs> I don't know what that says about our, our, our reading uh, convergence, but yeah. You can just change um, it to Jared and John Lucas' favorite books. There we go. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so Metropolitan Man, I think I came across this um, when Alexander Wales was interviewed on the Bayesian Conspiracy podcast. And what it is, is in much the same way the much spoken about Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality is a sort of fan fiction that went too far for harry potter this is a fan fiction for like the original superman so it's literally set in 1934 and it's a rationalist retelling of the story of superman so it's much much shorter than methods of rationality it's it's highly digestible and there is an audio version done by uh Inyash brodsky who did the audio version of methods of rationality as well uh, and I, that's actually the form that I consumed it in. Um, it was right at the beginning of 2019, and I pretty much listened to it in one go. It was superb. The beauty of this story is that it flips the whole Superman concept on its head, where now the protagonist is this ultra-rationalist Lex Luthor, who, through his cunning and smarts and strategizing and understanding of human nature and game theory and free market uh, dynamics has come to dominate industry and be, you know, this this titan of his era. And suddenly the Superman character rocks up. And Superman's almost like treated like a rogue AI in some in some sense. Um, and, and the rationalist telling of it, it does a beautiful job of that. Mm. And the story is essentially how this almost omnipotent, omniscient god that is Superman, you know, see through walls, hear everything all over the earth, be anywhere in the blink of an eye, unlimited strength, all these things. How, how can Lex Luthor, using his wits, damage control and mitigate the risk of this superman you know who seems to be benevolent at first but you know could could become this uh, moral runaway demon at any time and it really explores the sort of grittier moral challenges of superman whilst also presenting this fantastic rationalist version of lex luther mm. who is one of the most wonderful colorful protagonists that i've ever had the pleasure of of reading about so it's it oh, just man, very entertaining read this now. short and digestible if you enjoyed harry potter and the methods of rationality or it sounded interesting to you but you never read it because it's really long just just give this a go like it's it's so great it will capture you very quickly and it's so so clean and just ah uh, i love it it was it was honestly so fun and i might just read it again because it was so great okay now now you've really excited me okay now i want to know what your last one is and then i'll give my um special bonus consideration and um, the hint, the hint, I want to see if anyone can guess, is it's like by far the longest thing I've ever read slash listened to. I did it in like equal, not equal part, but I did it in both forms concurrently. Mm. It was an absurdly long book. And it's also, it's also um, written as a web serial. I don't believe, <laughs> I don't think you read it because I think it. I like, read like the first two chapters and then had to like have someone like take me away from electronics because I knew that this would get, lead me down a, a sticky path. So I know exactly what you're talking about, but okay. we'll come to it at the that's, end. That's the, that's the bonus. Wait till the end. You go now. Yeah, wait till the end. Um, right. And so then my third and final for now uh, fiction recommendation was uh, the fiction book that I read most recently uh, recommended me to me by uh, my good friend Oliver. Um, and he recommended this to me after, well, okay, there's a whole bunch of detail to it, but it is The Three Body Problem. Which oh, I just is... read that. Oh, did you just read it as well? I read okay. the whole trilogy in December. It was so good. Oh, wow. Okay. I just read the first one. Um, so it is the English translation of Liu Shixing, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, 
uh, which is the, I suppose, the Chinese order of saying it, surname Liu, first name Xixing, I think, um, translated by Ken Liu, uh, who also wrote the paper Menagerie. Which is also beautiful. Which is beautiful, a nice short story. So when Oliver recommended to me, he recommended Paper Menagerie first, and then I really enjoyed that. And he was like, because we were also discussing like fantasy and sci-fi and how they interconnect and relate and the common elements and themes. And I was like, oh, that was so good. And he's like, cool, now that I know you like that and the style of that, read this translation of The Three-Body Problem. Um, and it is a science fiction book set during the cultural revolution in China, um, which was sort of after the Great Leap Forward and then sort of projected forward into the future um, to sort of like, you know, modern times plus some. And it, I mean, it just, it encompasses so many things. I think like, how did I... Physics, did I sociology, it? game theory, history. Actually, I mean, I just, I wrote a really short little review here and I think I'll just read it out because that summarizes my thoughts on it really succinctly, I think. So I said, uh, a superb piece of cerebral sci-fi. Given that this is written by a Chinese author and translated to English, it takes a fair while to pick up on the distinctive style, which I'd never experienced before. Once you do, you find yourself immersed in worlds within worlds, learning about everything from the Chinese cultural revolution to chaos theory to particle physics. Three-body problem touches on so many fascinating ideas that I sometimes found it too stimulating for fiction. For me, this is right up there with Neil Stevenson's work, only with a completely different style. Brilliantly written and cleanly translated. This was a real treat. Oh, nice review. Oh, thanks. Um, so, man, I like that book. It was really, really good. What did you What did you think of the, the the next two in the trilogy? Did they Did they live up to the the standard? Did they take it in interesting directions? Oh, they took it in very interesting directions. Um, I'm gonna avoid spoiling anything for you because I think you have a lot in store. But it's definitely yeah. worth reading the the other two books. I found the start of the second book a little bit of slow going. I think because the first one ends on such a sort of like fast paced and interesting notes mm. you're like almost desperate for that to continue or at least maybe if you're impatient like me you are but once i got into it and like reacquainted myself with the characters and like watched them develop and you know saw some familiar faces that really got going and then the third one was like an all-out sort of just sprint it's also the longest one by far and yet again like i started these i think the the, the first one i finished in three days and then i was hooked and i had to read the other two and it was just man they are so good they're really really and just like so different and i think that must be from the like the cultural difference between and the fact that they're they're translated like it just has such a different style and a different like way of discussing and and treating things and it just like it was it was just such a different way of viewing stories i don't know i don't know if that's just purely cultural or if that's distinctive to the author but like man it was just and, and also I, I had very little knowledge or like no knowledge of that entire sort of part of china's history and the impacts right. that it had on people and the, and, the, and the story does a really good job of like giving you that context um and then sort of building upon it with these interesting like directions that the world could have gone um really 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 fascinating and just nuggets of gold all along the place uh all along the way yeah yeah highly recommended well, there we go so the long and short of it is that out of five out of the six books are books that i would also um that i've also read and the sixth i'm now going to read in the next few days because it sounds really really good so okay so i support so your recommendations you support and now we hope that everyone else gets as much as i as i will um <laughs> fantastic okay and then before you before you give your uh, your bonus recommendation if, if 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 you have to do anything productive and meaningful in the next five years don't listen <laughs> any further 
logo. This is, like, this is an this adversarial is recommendation. Like, so, okay. So my bonus recommendation is a book called Worm, like Earthworm, but Worm by the author Wild Bow or Wild Bow. Like, it's just the author name. It's It was written as a series of blog posts. You can find it by Googling. We'll have a link in the show notes. Now, I'd like seen this floating around on Goodreads, and it's definitely sort of associated with the kind of like rationalist corner of the internet that we read from. It's so like Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality and, and Metropolitan Man. I did not know how long it was. I can't remember exactly, but it's like it's over a million words, like well over as far as I understand. Um, I'll put the exact number in the show notes if you're interested. I mean, even just the audiobook is like, I'm trying to remember. Is it's it like a hundred hours? Yeah, it's more than a hundred hours or something like that. It's like somewhere on the order of like 170 or 200 hours, roughly there. So it's definitely it's the right order of magnitude in the hundreds of hours long. If you listen to it, it's just pure audio. And the thing which was so so strange for me is that once I'd started listening and and then reading occasionally, I sort of flipped between them. It was nigh impossible to stop. I mean, if you are at all similar to me, and my roommate was also, um, Sasha was also addicted at one point because I showed this to her. And then the two of us were both like fiends, just consuming. Um, there's a podcast version of it where they, they do it by audio and they like get voice, like different people to do the different voices with the characters. Yeah. And I, to articulate all the reasons why I love it would take too long. But mm. I mean, you said that you, you loved Lex Luthor as a the protagonist there in Metropolitan Man, the protagonist in Worm was one of the best characters, like best written characters in terms of sort of just nuance. And, and in fact, it was some of the best writing of someone's internal psychological decision-making and thinking to solve a seemingly impossible problem, giving mm. just normal or slightly, let's say, parahuman abilities in, in, in thinking. It was utterly incredible. And you think after the first let's say 20 hours are really good you think how how much better could this possibly get and i think however many million words this thing was it did not disappoint me all the way to the end mm. and that's why i like relentlessly i like took a break from basically everything else i was reading in the middle of last year and just finished that and i think mm. after like maybe two months of listening and reading to basically just that i was done and honestly, I could see myself doing it all again. That, that's how yeah. much I love that story. Incredible. Like, I want to read it so bad, but I was like super nervous to, to take on that. that Because I will just get obsessed. And I mean, that happened when I read Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality both times that I've read it. Like, <laughs> I get to like 40% of the way. And then it's just like all I do for the next like three or four weeks is just like inhale it not even probably like a week because i just do it like nonsense yeah so um so so just put this in context like uh, one of the really long books that a lot of people might have sitting somewhere dusty on a shelf that looks really big and daunting with tiny font and thousands of pages uh is war and peace which yep. is according to the wikipedia article of the list of longest novels is just short of six hundred thousand words right and so we're saying we're, like worm is is in the millions um of words right which would probably put it like as one of the longest novels in the English language, according to the Can you get a quick list. Google a estimate quick for how long skim. it is? Like, can you do that quickly? Uh, I'm curious to know. Okay, but let's let's look. Um, for your convenience, um, we'll just snip out this extra search time. Maybe people want to hear the nice, satisfying clicks of uh, of my keyboard. Um, <laughs> so, according to the Wikipedia article for Worm, um, 
totaling 1.68 million words. <laughs> so it's like two and a half War and Peace? The story was written at a rate of up to 11,000 words per day, comparable to a traditional book being published every month. I mean, that, that is an insane... Who, who, what was this John C. Wildbow McRae? How, how was John C. Wildbow McRae like able to pump out 11,000 words that's so meaty? Like, Ooh. how? Can I tell you what actually? Tropics. So one thing, so I, I did listen mostly by audio because the, the, the voice acting is so good. It's, it's a really, like, it's a beautiful experience. Um, but the comments on the blog... I think are like mm-hmm. where Wildbout got a lot of the ideas, or maybe the ideas were his own. But like, uh, there was like, so a like dynamic this, audience ooh. interaction where the where the story is kind of being inspired by the fans commenting on earlier parts of the story. A little bit, yeah, and like you can see mm. speculation, and like if something is not clear, he like answers in the comments. Sometimes someone will be like, "But what? What about what about this?" And um, you know, he'll actually reply whilst he's apparently writing eleven thousand more words of tomorrow's post. But it's just so worth it if you if you have the time and even if you don't mm. read worm <laughs> make the time it, it's fascinating because the, harry potter and the methods of rationality and it, it was sort of published episodically right yeah, as a serial. Um, and and so like it's out there it's canon before you've completed it or seen where it's going to go like think about the you know, temptation as a, as a novelist would be to like you know like write the whole thing and then like iterate on it and make it better and all of that before anyone's seen it at all yeah but it's a totally different way of creating content and it seems to at least in these two examples that we have which might be you know, some selection bias here but to, to produce like meaty good engaging interesting content at an incredible rate and it's almost like Maybe what's slowing traditional novelists down, like the reason why J.K. Rowling would take, you know, pretty comparably long to write a Harry Potter book was because you've got so much like back filtering and review and doubt and all of these things that actually slow down the process. Like you can't have writer's block if everyone's emailing you like, when's the next installment coming? Everything's already out there. They like starting to have fan theories. You read the fan theories and you're like, oh, I like that one. I'm going to make that like the story. Like it's a whole different feedback, iterative, dynamic way of writing fiction that's just distinct and new and has only happened in the last sort of like 20, 30 years. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's really, really cool. It makes me want to also like dabble in some science fiction. Um, oh, there you go. So yeah. Awesome. Fuck. Now I want to read that. See, mine's <laughs> so nice. Metropolitan man. You can sit down and read in one evening and be like, that was great. You know, that was good. Wholesome. You will not want worm to end. I was sad when it the ended. next two years, I'm going to like have to drop out of life. <laughs> Well, when you do it, come back to me and tell me what you thought because, oh, did I love that. That's like one of the major things that we are not up to date on, you know. Mm. Like, we've often read the same things. Like, in fact, sometimes I think it's to our detriment. We've had this conversation before off, yeah. off, off the podcast because it means that we end up saying sometimes just the same thing. Oh, did you like that? I like that. Great. Um, exactly. This is one of the major ones where like, you're a few months behind on this. <laughs> yeah, got to get up to date. All right, so uh, yeah, there's your bit of the tangent until I've finished Worm. Like, there will be no more episodes until <laughs> I've read Worm. That's it, 2021. Until 2025, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sir, let's leave this right. there then. Yeah, that's been a lot of fun. Um, if, you, if you do read any of these books and uh, enjoy them or hate them or anything, if you have anything to say, hit us up on uh, Twitter at our personal accounts um, or at the bit of a tangent account on Twitter or Instagram. The links will be in the show notes to all of those great things. Um, or pop us an email uh, podtangent at gmail.com and let us know what you thought and if you have any recommendations for us we always love to have them there you go
Great. All right. Thanks. Until next time. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Bits of a Tangent. If you enjoyed this episode, please get in touch with us and share your thoughts. You can email us at podtangent at gmail.com or connect with us on Twitter or Instagram through the handle at podtangent. For more information about us, our backgrounds, and other projects we're involved in, visit our website at podtangent.com. There, you can also find full show notes, which have links to all the great content discussed in the episode. As mentioned in the introduction, we occasionally add bonus content related to the episode, or just mention favorite books, organizations, and other esoteric internet stuff. If you like the show, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, or whatever app you get your podcasts from. This lets them know that we're worth listening to and helps new people discover the ideas we discuss. The best way to hear about future episodes is to subscribe to us in your podcast app and, if you're so inclined, to enable notifications. That way you'll know when we've released something new, which is generally about once a week. Lastly, if you know someone who you suspect might enjoy the kinds of things we talk about here, consider sharing an episode with them. It really is the only way a podcast can grow authentically. We both love having these discussions and relish the opportunity to share ideas with like-minded people around the world. So your support and listenership are sincerely appreciated. Until next time.